0: We are in the book of Joshua. That's what we've been doing week after week for a couple of months. And uh, so what we're going to do is Joshua 22. I'm going to try to do that full chapter. It's called a testimony uh, or a witness. And I'm just wondering, does anybody out there, are they able to see me and can they hear me? Am I on? It says live, so I'm just taking that it is. I hope it's not jumping, and I hope my mouth is going along with the same words that's there. I do see Frida that was on there earlier, and uh, I just had said uh, we're getting ready to come on. I, I have been on for uh, about a minute here, it looks like. Anyway, we uh, will go ahead and get this started. Have you ever heard uh, a particular passage and you've heard it over and over many many times so it's so familiar that it's like you know it really well but have you ever ran into certain sections of the Bible that might be related to a story something along that lines and you're not so sure if you've ever even heard it have you read it you're not sure uh, you're kind of familiar with it but you kind of forget, and then you say, I don't ever remember that story. Well, here we are tonight. We're actually going to be dealing with almost a civil war in Israel. Now, we're all familiar with uh, the civil war that happened here in the United States, the war between the states, uh, 150 years ago or so, and we're familiar with that historically. Well, there was almost the same thing in Israel at the time of Joshua. And that's what we're going to be covering tonight. And we'll see the uh, historical story there and then look at what that has to do with God's story in even our own lives of how those principles should be working in the church. Now, according to Joshua, the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. Now, not one, not one word of those good promises ever failed. God has come through in every little detail. The conquest has come to a close. They've beaten the enemies um, in Canaan. They've come to possess the land. And God's promise to his people was down to the T, detailed, and it is come true. And now they can enjoy fully all the blessings of life that has been given to them. uh, A life flowing with milk and honey. But there are a few loose ends to be wrapped up. And that includes almost a civil war within Israel. So that's where we're at. We're going to be turning to Joshua 22. And Joshua is dismissing the two and a half tribes. That There were two and a half tribes. That was Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And they were going to be the ones that were going to live over on the east side of the Jordan. But they had helped the rest of Israel defeat the enemies in Canaan. And that's taken something like four, six, seven years. It's been quite a conquest for them. And now we see a shift where the emphasis upon God's fulfillment of his promises of their victory is now going to come to Israel to be obedient. God is a covenant God, but they also are to be people of the covenant and to obey him, like the commands that were given at Mount Sinai. So the first thing we're going to run into here tonight is an exhortation that is given to the two-and-a-half tribes. And, you know, as I look at the screen, I see every once in a while a jumping. And I have to wonder if that's what you're getting also. Well, if it is, we might have to kind of revert back to the old style where I have it pre-recorded and just leave it there. But it's kind of interesting to see... Uh, who all is joining us, and I feel like I've got a little bit of a live crowd when I know you're there. Uh, I might ask you, if you can, go ahead and uh, put a comment uh there, of just say, say hi, or uh, what's going on, or what are we going to do tonight, whatever you want to do, go ahead and put it there, and I can say hi to you. Uh Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, great God, you are holy, and as we embark upon This section tonight in Joshua, may we be able to be enlightened by your truth and how things in history have been done according to your word, and in this case, that's what we wind up seeing, and it's a great principle for us as we tie this up. Uh, We pray of your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom tonight to be able to learn a little bit further of your character and nature as we see you bless your people. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Joshua uh, 22, verse 5 verses, and there's an exhortation that is given by Joshua to children of uh, Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites. Verse 1, then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have listened to my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he spoke to them. Therefore turn now and go to your tents to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan. Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you to love the Lord your God and walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them, sent them away, and they went to their tents. Uh, Joshua's a covenant mediator. He's kind of a picture of Christ. He is telling them to be faithful to obey the command which Moses had given them, and that certainly helped the other tribes, conquer the land in Cana. And that always helps. So there was a number of years, like I said, four, six, seven years, something like that, that it took, and now it's time for them to go back over on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so here we have, the Lord commanded, namely, to, to love Yahweh, to walk in his ways, to serve him with everything in their hearts, in their soul. It's a summary of the law. It is really the law in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Serve God. Love God. Matthew 22, uh, verse 34 through 40 is something that goes right along with that same thought. A summary of the two tables of the law. So there's the first part in those first five verses. The exhortation that Joshua gives to the two and a half tribes to be faithful in obeying the commands. Now, in 6 through 8, Joshua says, uh, Bless them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua gave a possession among their brothers westward beyond the Jordan. So when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and said to them, Return to your tents with great riches and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with very many clothes. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So, we have a blessing that Joshua gives them as he sends them on their way. It's a farewell to the soldiers. They had fought well under his command, and they get to go home now, and to their people, they had a, a lot of booty, spoils, to be able to tag Take back to their people. I'm looking here on the left side. Now, finally, I'm getting something over here. Uh, I'll just uh, interrupt the message for a moment. You can do that on Facebook Live. <laughs> but anyway, Frida, Harold, thank you for joining us. I hear uh, amen, right? And it says good on the tablet, not so much on the computer. I don't know exactly what the deal is with that. Kim Dickey, hello, how are you? It is good to see you. It's been a while. I remember uh, many, many uh, years ago, uh, about like uh, eight years ago, we were at the store and you were quite uh, the customer there. We always had good conversations. As a matter of fact, Kim, I know that we kind of grew up together because we were almost next door neighbors. And uh, wow. I, I certainly uh, remember you very well. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate that. That's quite the encouragement. Uh, in case you just joined us, we are in Joshua twenty-two. So the blessing has been given. The spoils of a prolonged war now are given to the various Canaanite tribes. We continue, we're moving through this rather rapidly. It's, it's a narrative, and we're going to try to get to the principle here of what the whole point of this is about. So we're going to go 9 through 12 in Joshua 22. This is where peace is threatened inside of Israel. And here's where civil war almost starts. Verse 9. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home and departed from the sons of Israel at Shiloh, which is the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had possessed according to the command of the Lord through Moses. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar. There's the key point. There by the Jordan, a large altar in appearance. And one might say, oh, and the sons of Israel heard it said, behold, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan, on the side belonging to the sons of Israel. When the sons of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel gathered themselves at Shiloh to go up against them in war. So there you have it. Here's where it all really starts now. And I just saw now that Michael Keach has joined us. He says, hi, good to see you, Michael. Glad to have you. And so in verses 6 through 8, we saw the blessing and then it changes drastically because peace is threatened. Inside of Israel there is now an internal challenge. We're on the brink of a civil war. The uh, ten tribes of Israel are ready ready to go across the East Jordan River east of the Jordan River to battle their own people because of what they've just done. What did those tribes two and a half tribes do? well, they built a huge altar as a gesture. Of unity. Toward their brothers that are over on the other side of the Jordan. So they're kind of split, but they're, they're doing that as a good gesture. But the children of Israel are seeing this as, uh oh, whenever the nation of Israel does something wrong, the judgment of God comes down upon all of Israel. So here's what went wrong. We noted before, Shiloh had become the center of the Israeli religious life. That's really where they worshipped now, at least at that time, before there was Jerusalem. It's at Shiloh. And so they build an altar across the river. It's huge. It's tall. It's to be seen. There had been an altar of stones made before, and it's on the other side, of the Jordan River to show a memorial what God had done for them, and it was to make them remember. Well, here's these two-and-a-half tribes, and they're saying, we want an altar over here to show that we're doing unity. Well, this was an imposing stone altar. As far as the rest of the tribes over across the river, the Trans-Jordan guys are saying, hey, we are. We have our altar also. And so the people cross could now see over on the east side this uh, altar. They could see it from their homes if they weren't close to there. This made the tribes enraged. So now we're going to start at verse 13. For this next section, it's called the offense. We're kind of going verse by verse in a rather rapid way, but you're getting the idea on this narrative. And uh, I saw something come up here from Kim. Thank you for sharing this, Dennis. I love the Lord with all that I am and love his word. And that is what this is about, to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you love to worship God, and that—that that is very true, Kim. I definitely have known that for many years, and that's good to hear. That's what we are all about, isn't it? To love God with everything. And so that's what the children of Israel are concerned about as far as the two and a half tribes. So let's pick it up in verse 13. That's a good comment. Thank you, guys. I'll try to read those as they go along, if I can remember to see that. Then the sons of Israel sent to the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs and one chief for each of the fathers' household from each of the tribes of Israel, and each one of them was the head of his father's household among the thousands of Israel. They came to the sons of Reuben and to the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what is this unfaithful act, which you have committed against the God of Israel? Turning away from following the Lord this day, by building yourselves an altar to rebel against the Lord this day. Is not the iniquity of Peor, anon for us, from which we have not cleansed ourselves to this day, although a plague came on the congregation of the Lord? that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel tomorrow. If, however, the land of your possession is unclean, then cross into the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or rebel against us by building an altar for yourselves besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zarah, act unfaithfully in the things under the ban? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that men did not perish alone in his iniquity. Well, there we have it with the way that Israel had taken This offense, that's what it is. It's an offense, an explosive situation to the tribes remaining in the land of what was Canaan. They're terrified that their brothers have committed a very ungodly act. You see, at Peor, and they use two examples, at Peor and also the example of Achan, they use past history. They're using biblical uh, judgments that God had given them. And so the first one is dealing with the Moabite, the Midianite women. The Israelites had intermingled with the Moabites, the Midianites. They even went in to worship the God of the Canaanites, Baal. That was found in the book of Numbers if you wanted to look that up. And you see, the inheritance for these tribes, these two and a half tribes, is really in that same region that was formerly occupied by the Moabites and the Midianites. And everyone living in Israel knew this. They remembered it, and it was uh, there was a judgment there. God took out over 24,000 of the brethren of Israel. 24,000 died because of that plague which didn't end until Phineas came and put his spear into a young Israelite man and also a Moabite woman. And we see what happened. And everybody remembers this. They know this story. And that's why Israel is so concerned. So they use Phineas there. And so are they being pulled toward paganism and false religion? Was this reason why these men built a new altar was it a sign of apostasy? As far as Israelites are concerned, that must be what's happening. Well, they also used the sin of Achan. And after Jericho and that great victory there, there was a city of Ai. And they were not to take anything from there. And they went and took Ai on without the blessing of God and they got beat. They got on the run. They did not defeat the little city of Ai after they had defeated the huge city of Jericho. And we know that Achan had stolen, took things that he was not supposed to take and he and his whole family lost their lives because of that. There had to be God's wrath satisfied because of the disobedience because they were not supposed to take anything. So you have Phineas here as part of the people that are going up and going over to those two and a half tribes to speak to them. Uh, Phineas, the son of the high priest Eleazar, he knew full well what would happen to all of Israel if the tribes did something very dishonoring to God. And so there he is along with Ten others, as uh, it's said there, ten chiefs. And he takes them with him to address them, and they're concerned about apostasy. Not only was the unity of the nation at stake, but the minds of Phineas and the others, they continued uh, as, as far as the existence of Israel is concerned. It was on the line. Now we come into the next section. This crisis has to be resolved. How is it going to be done? Well, as far as the nation of Israel is concerned, as a whole, they were ready to go attack. And they were ready to destroy Israel. Anyway, so here we go. Resolving the crisis. Verse 21 through 29. Another big section. Then the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered, And spoke to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord. He knows, and may Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or if in an unfaithful act against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built us an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or have to offer a burnt offering or grain offering on it, or have to offer sacrifices of peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself require it. But truly we have done this out of concern for a reason, saying, In times to come your sons may say to our sons, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you. You sons of Reuben and sons of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your sons may make our sons stop fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us build an altar, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice. neither; Rather it shall be a witness, catch that word right there. A witness, a testimony. That's what our title is tonight. That's what the key is here. Let it be a witness between us and you. Us, two and a half tribes, and you, the other tribes of Israel. And between our generations after us, that we are to perform the services of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, and with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, You have no portion in the Lord. Therefore we said, it shall also come about, if they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, then we shall say, see the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice, rather it is a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away from following the Lord this day by building an altar for burnt offering, for grain offering, or for sacrifice. Besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. So they're saying the the one and only altar is really at the original place where uh, Israel, uh, the rest of the tribes are at, the tabernacle is at. It's meant for a witness, it's a witness, it's a testimony, that's really what it's about. So they uh, give their defense in this area and the trans-Jordan tribes, as you can say, they inform them that their rationale for building this structure is not for the brethren to fear, that's not the deal at all. We never intended that this altar be used to worship other gods. Far be it from us. You see, they have great faith in Yahweh and great love and respect for their brothers. They have fought with them for all those years and helped them win the uh, land and take possession. And they're saying, hey, listen, we're showing respect. And another reason is is that as far as the future generations that come up, the ones we don't even get to see, we are not only our grandsons, but great-grandsons, great-great-grandsons, great-grandchildren, that they would know what this altar is about, that both sides would be. It's a witness to our own children it's a witness to our families it's a witness to everybody and it's a warning to the surrounding nations forbid that they would attack us because this meant victory so anyway that it's dealing with a covenant the yahweh covenant that had been made and they had no intention of turning away and they don't want any of their actions to bring down the covenant curses upon the whole nation Deuteronomy 28 and 29 you had the blessings and the cursings and they don't want the cursings so they know full well why they're doing it. they said here is our intention it's to be a witness it's a good thing so we look in verse 30 and we're nearing the end of this uh, particular chapter our study tonight as we go into verse 30 it, and it deals with the crisis is going to come to an end now and look at this, this is beautiful so when Phinehas, the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, even the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words which the sons of Reuben, and the sons of Gad, and the sons of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Amen. Thank the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the sons of Reuben, and to the sons of Gad, the sons of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this unfaithful act against the Lord. Now you have delivered the sons of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest and the leaders, returned from the sons of Reuben and from the sons of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the sons of Israel, and brought back word to them." They're saying, guess what, guys? No problem. It's okay. The word pleased the sons of Israel, and the sons of Israel blessed God, and they did not speak of going up against them in war to destroy the land in which the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad were living. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So there we go. It was a witness to the people of Israel. That's really our main drive of this passage tonight. Uh It was a witness. God's covenant. That's declaring a testimony about it. Uh, I want to tell you something, it's, it's interesting, it was a testimony to the watching nations too, not to ever mess with Israel. In effect, this is the Old Covenant version of Jesus' words in John 13, 35, we're all familiar with this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There you go. You see them embrace the two tribes. The crisis is over. Now, let's close this out. There are practical lessons here. There's an application to be made and it was made by them and here is how the church is to work today. And by the way, that John 13, 35, by this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is what it comes down to. They needed to resolve conflict. And you see, immediately, the tribes in Israel on the western side of the Jordan River assumed the worst. They thought that the two and a half tribes were committing illegitimate sacrifices to Yahweh. Or even tolerating the worship of Baal. Maybe that's what it's about. They don't know. Uh, It was based upon some kind of unfounded rumor, some kind of thing that had gotten across to the people that really wasn't true. But they were starting to believe the worst about the brethren. Thankfully, cooler heads prevailed at this time. When we think of Phineas and the the ten chiefs, representatives that went there to talk to them. As they went uh, as a congregation to another congregation, they met Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, and they're there face to face to speak with them, and they get the word of truth from their brothers there. You know, in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, we get a passage that the church really needs to take heed to. It says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him it's fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Well, the point is this. It's well illustrated here by the action taken by Phineas, and the others, the the uh, chief leaders, 10 chiefs. And it's like you can't take action against your brother or your sister on just assumptions or rumors. It's just the way that you see it or you think. It seems so real, but it may not be real at all. But it's talking about you need to go to talk to the people with whom you are at odds, with where there has been an offense, go talk to them. And that's where wisdom can prevail. You talk to one another face to face. Here's the point. They didn't talk about one another. They talked to one another. There's a huge difference. Don't be assuming and then talking about it with somebody else that is not part of it. Instead of talking about one another, we talk to one another. That's a rule by Jesus. I didn't make it up. That is the way the church is to start their discipline process. It first starts with the two getting together. There's no position. To judge anyone else's motives until we've heard the other side. Come, let us reason together. And that's what they did here uh, in this chapter. Now that's that's one thing there. It's dealing with that's how you resolve conflicts. There's another lesson that we get out of this, so resolve conflicts in the biblical way. So many conflicts could be done if One goes to the other and they speak to one another. Okay, now, as we finish up, not only here that there should be resolving a conflict, but there has to be Christian unity. Christian unity. Did you see the unity between the tribes here as they got together? The final point here is Christian unity they did as a testimony to God's covenant. Biblically speaking, uh, a witness is not our personal testimony. Personal testimonies are okay, and it's a good thing. But what we're talking here is a corporate act. And it demonstrates to all those on the outside that the church is the people of God and we're one. We're one based upon God. We're one because we confess a common faith. That's how we are one. We are one in Christ who sanctifies the word. In John 17 verses 11 through 19, Jesus prays that the church would have unity. The unity is in him. The unity is in the faith. The one faith that we're believing and saying, confessing the same thing. It's a common faith that points us ahead to the consummate covenant mediator, Jesus Christ. He makes us one through a common faith because of his shed blood and his perfect righteousness. That's how we are made one. It's based on that. It's based upon that faith in that, and to hear that he was raised for our justification, and then we confess his faith together throughout our whole worship. We confess throughout our worship service that he is our God and that he died for our sins was raised for our justification and we confess this all the way through every worship service. It's a testimony. It's a witness to who? Well, to our children, to our families, to our neighbors, and to even the pagans that we are one, that we are unified in what we believe and who we believe in. As one, we are affirming that God is our Father, that Jesus is His Son, and that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it, uh, actually sanctifies us. He sanctifies us through word, through sacrament, that word, the word of God, the gospel, and through that sacrament, which is really, it's the reading Studying, hearing the Word of God, and taking communion in the biblical way, and baptism in that way. It's all expressing our unity of who we are in Christ. And as we do this together, you know what we're doing? We are testifying. We are one. Hey, and I see over here, Chris Fisher says, Miss you guys. Chris, I remember you way back at Alpha Omega, and can you believe it? It's, uh, my, that's been eight years ago since we met on the uh, Monday Night Bible Studies at Alpha Omega Christian Bookstore. It's no longer there, but it was a great blessing. Glad you could join us, Chris. Boy, it's been uh, been good to see you there. Thank you for joining in as we uh, get ready to close here but we're testifying to ourselves right here today and every time we meet together and uh, lately it's been through the media like this Facebook and YouTube and such but very soon from what I'm thinking after May 4th the church in the United States or at least here in Missouri will be getting together and I uh, know unless there's something else, else that comes up I'm planning a big day there as far as the, uh, it'll be Mother's Day. And I believe that would be the 10th, 10th of May if I've got that correct. So we look forward to that. We want to testify together about the covenant promise that God has given us, dying for our sins and raising uh, himself up and making us Righteous. The covenant promise. He had a covenant promise to the Transjordan tribes. They confessed when they built their altar. And they said, I, uh, God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This, brothers and sisters, is our witness to the watching world. Hey, thanks guys for coming out and, uh, we're, I guess, are staying in probably. And you know what? We didn't get ran out of here by the storms yet. But thank the Lord for having this opportunity, uh, and it's, it feels like we've been having some kind of a, almost a live Bible study with you join us. And I thank you very much. Let's have a word of prayer and close. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time and Lord, you are the covenant promising God and we are here as witnesses of what you have done with our lives we want to be a testimony talking and just being alive just alive and and walking and talking as Christians that would honor you you are precious Lord and thank you for the covenant and the promises that are fulfilled as we've seen so often through Joshua, and you've done the same with us. The promises are fulfilled. Lord, thank you very much. Thank you for the witness, the testimony that we have of your word. And in your son's name we pray, amen.